You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today is question and answer day. I got to start working through this little bit of a backlog. So that is what we're going to do. A couple other little topics I want to briefly touch on, but that'll be short, quick, and to the point, and then we'll get into the questions. Before we get there, however, be sure to check in the comments section. I got all kinds of goodies for you, man. Got some sweet merchandise, t-shirts and whatnot. Be sure to go take a look at, uh, you know, how they look. If you're interested in supporting the channel, I got several ways to do that. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I've got a few little fun little dealies that are patrons only. And I'm going to be adding to that. I'm going to be adding my uh, top GM. I think I'm going to add it to, I don't know. Not sure how to handle this. I might put it on NFLBigBoard.com too. But basically, it's going to be ranking GMs based on their drafting ability. Not going to be necessarily overall because there's all kinds of roster management going on for GMs. But I've already started that process, and I can tell you right now, um, basically, there's several ways that I'm ranking it. In other words, I'm not going to say this is the definitive rank because there are several different ways that you can judge a draft class, I su- or at least I'm learning. There aren't too many ways to judge this draft class and say Brian Gutekunst did a good job. That is the very unfortunate thing. I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can. But if it makes you feel any better, um, Bill Belichick is dead last in every category, and I don't think that's going to change. I've, I've gotten through about half the league, but shockingly, uh, if you actually look at the draft class, out of I don't know how many picks he had, I think only three played and only two played over 100 snaps. So, I mean, obviously this will change. I'll be keeping track, I think, up to three years. This is just year one, so it's sort of instant impact out of your draft class, so some of that stuff's going to be a little wonky, but again, that's why I'm going to have several ways to j- different, to differently gauge sorts of things and kind of be up to you to decide. But anyways, that's all going to be on Patreon if you wanted to try that. The other thing I was going to do that I haven't mentioned, I do have several tiers on Patreon. For the most part, most people come in at like one to five dollars, which is awesome. You can do it for as little as a buck a month, However, what I will do is if you jump in on that $20 a month Patreon tier, um, I will be sure to send you out a t-shirt. It's not really saving you any money, but I'm just saying, if you were thinking about doing it anyways, if you jump in on that tier, I'll uh, get in touch with you, find out what kind you want, and we'll send it out to you. Otherwise, be sure to get into the Facebook group. NFLBigBoard.com is now updated with the 2020 um, Big Board. I've already started watching some of their film which there isn't very much yet but man those guys are they're working hard diluted yinzer and whatnot on youtube um doing the cut-ups just watched gross matos yesterday not sure if he's arden key or miles garrett but he's he's somewhere in there not polished but man oh man he could be real good uh any questions please call 608-501-0718 text or call 608-501-0718 and again if you're planning on buying a pff subscription please head over here and use my uh link Again, it doesn't cost anything. It just throws a couple bucks my way. It would be a simple way to help uh, support the podcast. All right, we'll take a little break and uh, get to it. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so the first thing I wanted to bring up is really just some information I wanted to relay, which I thought was pretty cool. I was listening to, um, as usual, I, I've noticed that now I, I basically only listen to national media, which is nothing against the, uh, the the Packers podcasts. I just find that I start getting tired of Packers news when I listen to myself talk on top of everybody else. So it's good to get a broader uh, spectrum of what's going on. You, you do get a fuller picture of what other teams are doing to give you some insight on what we're doing. It's also nice to get a national perspective on the Packers other than, you know, 
Packer fan perspective. Anyways, bottom line is, I was listening to uh, Tony Pauline again. He does have a very good podcast. I probably shouldn't be promoting other podcasts, but I would certainly promote his. Depending on what you think of his credibility, I've never heard anything negative about him. Anyways, he was saying that he believes the Packers had a first-round grade on Elton Jenkins, which is astounding, considering the fact that, and I don't know this, but typically... And, and from what I've heard from national media folks is most teams had about, I think it was like 15 to 20, you know, we'll call it 20, 20-ish first-round grades. If the Packers manage to get three first-round guys out of this draft class, and that doesn't mean the Packers are correct. Obviously, other teams disagreed or Elton Jenkins would have never fallen that far. But for the Packers to, first of all, get Rashawn Gary who they believe is a phenomenal guy that they've been super high on. No question they had a top 10 grade on him. You know, it's funny, if you think about it, I was talking to a friend and it was, imagine being the Packers and being the scouts and being even Brian Gutekunst, who's a little more macro, right? He's a little more zoomed out, but still, he's, he's still kind of honed in on some of these guys. You watch Rashawn Gary and you know his name in high school. Highest recruited guy coming out of high school and one of the highest recruiting guys in several years, I think like Jadavian Clowney and, and like one other guy over the last five, ten years was ever graded higher coming out of high school than Rashawn Gary. Then you're watching him all through college and you're just salivating. It's like, man, this guy is so incredible. And to be able to draft him, to put him on your own team, especially when you just get to sit there and he falls to you at 12, I can't imagine the level of excitement that is. To just be completely enamored with the ridiculous athleticism of this freakish human being that just has basically superpowers because people that big just don't move that fast then you're sitting there at 30 and your your board's looking pretty good right you've got several people that seemingly are going to make it right i mean obviously elton jenkins is one of them but you see darnell savage and and again and i listened to matt lafleur talk about the draft class after i had made this reference but he was asked a question how many people with four, three, whatever speed that Darnell Savage has, I forget, how many of those guys have you ever gone against as an offensive coordinator? And he just kind of smiled and he said, not many. And he went on to elaborate and said that, you know, there, there are only a few that come to mind that can do the kinds of things he can do. And he mentioned Earl Thomas. And again, I had mentioned, and I, you know, it's, it's hard for me to talk about Darnell Savage and just not to, to eventually stop talking about him. But again, the, the range that he has and just the, the level of disguise that you can have for your defense, to put him in any particular spot and to not exactly have that be the spot that you're putting him at just as a level of disguise because he can get to, to from point A to point B so fast. Right. So you trade up to get a guy like that because it's like we can wait and there's still obviously several first round guys left on our board, but you know, for all I know, they also had a top 10 grade on Savage. They must have had a really high grade on him to the point where they said, we can't wait anymore. We have to go get him. You know, they, they did say definitively this was the top safety on our board, which I think kind of goes without saying because they, you know, traded up to get him and there was no safeties off the board yet. But then to be sitting there in the second round at pick 44 and to have a guy fall to you. And, and, and again, I'm sitting there, I'm doing my live stream and I'm like, man, we got to trade back. There's so much talent. We got to trade back. Why didn't they? They took a guard rather than you know, trading back and seeing what quality guy falls to him, and there were a lot of quality guys. Well, that's my opinion. Their opinion is there's a first-round graded guy sitting here at 44. We're going to take him. And for all I know, there were more than one that they had a first-round grade on, meaning Elton Jenkins would have been the highest of that group. But either way, first-round grade. And if I had to guess, it would be that there were, um, you know, again, less than 32 first-round grades from the Packers. Now, this isn't definitive. This is not gospel that I'm, I'm speaking here. Tony Pauline isn't 100% sure, but he said that he had heard that Elton Jenkins was getting first-round hype. He wasn't positive where that hype was coming from, but he kind of suspected it was the Green Bay Packers. So then when the Packers took him in the second round, that sort of helped, you know, kind of helped him figure out where that hype is coming from. So again, it, it may not be the case, but it, it sounds like according to the Packers board, and, and again, how good their board was, I don't know. But if the Packers are able to snipe three first-round guys, that's incredible. I mean, they, just think about how many times the Packers have not drafted a first-round prospect because they're sitting at the end of the first round and they got, you know, 17 first-round grades out there. By the time you get to 30, you're well into the second round. I mean, that if that's the case, this, this is an unbelievable draft class. And what I've been saying about needing to get some studs, this is a great opportunity for Brian Gutekunst to really nail this draft. 
So I just wanted to relay that because I thought that was really cool when I had heard him say that, that, that they had Elton Jenkins with a first-round grade. It's like, imagine giving up your pick 30 and, and moving all the way up and giving up two-fourths to do it, but still coming away with three first-round guys. That's, uh, that's pretty fantastic. By the way, as he was going through his, uh, his talk, he didn't mention the Packers on any day three picks, but uh, as he went through the day two picks, he mentioned the, hey, we got a dance party. We haven't had a dance party in a while. What's going on, folks? That's the one-hour warning. DJ Galaxy coming at you. But on day two, he did mention both the Packers picks, saying they were phenomenal picks between Elton Jenkins and Jay Sternberger. And I tend to agree. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was the Tom Silverstein article about Mike Daniels. Um, essentially, it, it was there were sort of several parts to it. And if you just read the headline, it's sort of just an eye roll and a move along kind of thing. But essentially, it's it's Mike Daniels doesn't fit Mike Pettin's scheme anymore. And even if you just kind of read the first paragraph or two or three or whatever, it's one of those things I had to force myself to keep reading because it's like, come on, man. But essentially, if you break it down, it's if you look at who the Packers have drafted, it's different than Mike Daniels. So they're going in a different direction. And that seems to be true. I would say there's a, a bigger gap between, uh, you know, Kyler Fackrell and the kind of edge guys they're going for than Mike Daniels and the kinds of defensive tackles are going for, like Kiki, Kiki, Kiki over here. But still, there's definitely a different prototype that they're looking for up front for Mike Pettin. But here's the problem. And I, I, I will agree with the second part of his article, or, or at least agree that it's a possibility, which we'll talk about. But um, when you draft a guy, it's because you want them to do things. You're not really drafting arm length, speed, any of this kind of stuff. You're drafting those attributes because those attributes are more likely to translate into things that you want them to do. And different defensive coordinators might want you to do different things based on scheme. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter, right? I, I, I remember still, I mean, I still reference it to this day, even though obviously now it doesn't matter, but... When we got Mike Daniels and, and or excuse me, when we got uh, Kenny Clark and made him a nose tackle, I was very confused because in my mind, nose tackles are, two, are 330 pounds, maybe 325, right? Nose tackles in a 3-4 defense were Haloti Nada and BJ Raji. Nose tackles are not Kenny Clark. Why did it work? Well, partially it's it's the NFL changing its its philosophy on things like that, getting smaller across the board. But beyond that, it's also about function. What is it that I need you to do? And the fact of the matter is, if you can do it, I don't care how long your arms are. I don't care how tall you are. I don't care about any of that stuff. And the fact of the matter is, Mike Daniels can do it. I need you to two-gap. Can you handle that, Mike? Yup. Can you, can you stop the run? Can you shoot a gap? Can you get going laterally? He can do all this stuff, and he can do it at a very high level. So does he? the fact of the matter is, he doesn't fit a lot. It doesn't matter what scheme it is. He's not ideal anything. It's why he was drafted as late as he was. It's why it took him several years to even crack the starting job. One or two years, I don't remember what it was, but it, he wasn't an instant starter. He rose to that because he's not built to be ideal at anything. He got the job and excels at the job because he's good at doing the things he's asked to be done. And he can still do it. I know he was hurt, but I mentioned if you look at his pressure percentage, I think it was like 13%. That's higher than Kenny Clark. That's higher than, than Zadarius Smith last year. That's higher than Preston Smith last year. It's higher than a lot of people. The only people that I saw that were higher are people outside of the Green Bay Packers organization. Khalil Mack, right? The, the number one pass rushers on the other teams were higher than Mike Daniels. Nobody on the Green Bay Packers had a higher pressure rate, including to this day. So he's still a very good football player. So I'm not buying the, well, they're trying to go in a different direction. The Packers have always been in a different direction than Mike Daniels. He still won the job because he's better than everybody else. Now, I will say, and we've, we've I've mentioned this before, Mike Daniels is getting a little bit older. He was injured this past year. He's coming up for a contract next year. That's point number one. Point number two, we've done a lot of work on drafting um guys up in the defensive front and that's not great for guys coming up on contract like Mike Daniels and like Dean Lowry point number three if I've also referenced several times when Brian Gutekunst was asked by Tom Grassi on his YouTube channel about the whole wide receiver situation Mark Murphy had said when we extended Devontae Adams that sort of was the tipping point. So we all look at it and go, well, it's because they wanted Jimmy Graham. No, no, no. This decision to move on from Jordy Nelson happened when we extended Devontae. Because what they said is you can't pay that much money into one position. And we also had Randall Cobb making a bunch of money there. So 
you got to remember, we're going to be paying Kenny Clark a lot of money. And if you still come into this with the philosophy of you don't want to have too much of your allocated money in one position, right? You have certain percentages that you want to hit in terms of how much money you invest in each position. We've already got a bunch of money in edge rusher. We're about to dump a ton of money into defensive tackle just in Kenny Clark. Are we really in a position to pay Mike Daniels what he's worth. Again, it's not about Mike Daniels isn't worth enough. It's really more about Mike Daniels is worth too much. So when we talk about is it possible we're looking to trade Mike Daniels, whether it be this year or next year, the answer is yes. No, obviously I hope we don't because he's a very good football player and I want him to play in Green Bay. I think he's a great football player. I think he's a great person. And I'm, I'm quite frankly already getting tired of all this he's not a good leader talk. I mean, is it possible he's not great in the locker room? I guess, but I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm over it, man. I'm tired of hearing all these nonsense rumors. It's time to stop being little teenage girls and start getting along with each other. I'm tired of it. All the backbiting and nipping and yip, 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 yip. It's funny, ever since I got married, I'm learning how, like, young girls act around each other. It's crazy. They're so mean. I thought boys were mean. No, dude, girls are mean. And I feel like this whole offseason has been finding out how the Green Bay Packers locker room is basically like a bunch of teenage girls. All the rumors and, and backbiting and all this nonsense. It's like James Jones said about Greg Jennings. Like, dude, if you got a problem, go be a man and talk to him about it. What is all this silliness? So now, you know, there was the, the Bleacher Report article took a swipe at Mike Daniels and Silverstein took a swipe at Mike Daniels. It's like, man, just get out of my face with this nonsense. Leave the man alone. But I, I think just from... From all those pieces, if you put it together, it does make sense. The Packers will be moving on from Mike Daniels. I do believe that to be the case because, again, the amount of money that we're going to be putting into Zadarius Smith, into Preston Smith, into Kenny Clark, I just don't see that as feasible. Not to say we couldn't do like a one-year thing with Mike Daniels because the money will kind of balance out, but there's a lot of money that's going to be coming, right? You know, Mike or Kenny Clark, we're going to be uh, t- picking up his fifth-year option or whatever. Like, okay, whatever, that, that kicks it all back a year. But when his contract comes due, it's, it's going to be a massive contract, and I just don't think the Packers are going to be giving Mike a, a long-term contract and Kenny Clark his massive you know, $20 million five-year contract or whatever's coming his way. It's going to be big, man. I don't, know if it'll, I don't know if it'll crack 20, but it's going to be big. And I wouldn't be surprised because I think it's going to be pretty long-term. So I, I tend to think you know, if we're talking five years, when you look at the adjusted rates and how things go up, I think he's going to want something like that. Because as much as it might seem high in, in 2020 or whatever, which at that point it probably isn't even high anymore, imagine what it's going to be in 2021, 2022, 23, 24. By the time 2025 rolls around, he's going to be, you know, 20 million is like kind of middle of the road, like you're a pretty good defensive tackle. So I just don't see Mike Daniels in the long-term uh, plans, as, as unfortunate as that is. But again, it's not because he can't do it. It's because he can, and it's because he does it at such a high level, right? I, I have a higher belief that Dean Lowry is going to get a contract than Mike Daniels because Dean Lowry isn't as good as Mike Daniels, and maybe he'll take a lesser contract. So that's sort of my thought on that. Um, in other words, I'll buy it to a point, but the the whole thing about we're getting away from Mike Daniels, no, man. We're not going to move on from him because he can't do it. Yes, he can. Anyways, uh, we'll take one more little, or no, we got two breaks. One, we'll take a break and we'll get into questions. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so the first question seemingly came immediately after the Packers made their first pick. <laughs> so I think maybe there's a little vitriol that hopefully has, has calmed. Again, these are kind of backlogged, and I'll edit this a little bit says, I could really use your insight insight on why in the world the Packers would draft another edge rusher instead of, instead of adding to their actual needs. 
kind of touched on it, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to take it head on here. Uh, number one, best player available, right? I do agree that if it was, for example, a quarterback was best player available or something they felt they just didn't need, they wouldn't have picked a quarterback. They would have traded back or just picked somebody else. Which brings me to my second point, because it is a need. I think sometimes, myself included, and, and maybe even myself especially, and i got to stop this, I get too caught up in you know, football basics. And I don't feel too bad because the media does this constantly, and it, it almost makes me cringe when you listen to like reporters ask questions to coaches and players and guys that, you know, we're talking masters-level football people, right? They really understand it. And then you get these reporters in there who don't even understand the basics. And I'm, I'm lumping myself in there, although I'm a, I'm a recovering dummy. But, for example, we look at it, people like myself, for example, we'll look at it and say, well, we got Preston, we got Sidarius, and those two are going to be our outside linebackers, and we only use two outside linebackers, so we're set there, we're done. And if we draft Rashawn Gary or another outside linebacker, then all we're doing is drafting depth, depth sits on the bench, and then, you know, it's just a waste of a pick. But if you listen to the Packers actually talk about it, it is a need. We're too caught up in basics, this isn't a 3-4 defense. This isn't a 4-3 defense. This, this, is, this is a hybrid defense, which is just a way of saying an NFL defense, because basically they all are now. 3-4 and 4-3 just don't really exist anymore. I mean, it, it does, but it's just, we, we get so hung up on it like it's a thing that somebody does all the time, and, and the old rules are kind of thrown out, right? I think Dom Capers ran a more traditional 3-4 defense in which he wanted his Clay Matthews type. So he had a so it was it was very easy to understand in a way as much as we talk about how complex it was. He had a strong safety, he had a free safety. He had two inside linebackers, he had three defensive linemen, and then he had two outside linebackers. He had the speed guy in Clay Matthews that went over to the left tackle side for the most part. Then he had Nick Perry who was the big guy that stood on the strong side to help against the run. He started to kind of evolve his defense, and that's when things got really complex. But now you get into Mike Pettin, and it's just a different animal, man. And I don't think it's just because it's Mike Pettin, although he's, he's obviously very good at it. This is just kind of what NFL defenses are now. And, I, and that's sort of how everything is. Everything is blending. I, I just saw an argument on Facebook the other day about who's going to be the free safety and who's going to be the strong safety. That doesn't even exist anymore, man. I don't know any teams that run that anymore, which is why one-dimensional guys aren't really getting picked anymore. I think that's why Nasir Adderley fell. I think he's just a free safety, and I don't think teams want just a free safety. If you have, have to have just something, maybe it's a free safety. Um, and I know, str- you know just strong safeties do exist, but for the most part, they're just nickel linebackers. Like Josh Jones, I think, if he's going to be a Green Bay Packer going forward, which I assume he is just from lack of depth, his primary role is just going to be a nickel linebacker because they just trust him as a linebacker. If you're going to be a safety in the NFL, you have to do both. You know, the free safety, strong safety moniker is just not a thing anymore. You, you, You have both responsibilities. You're expected to do both. You might be better at one or the other and spend a little bit more time doing one thing or the other thing, which means, you know, if you have a, a guy who's better at free safety and a guy who's better at strong safety, for example, you know, they were arguing, no, they said, somebody was saying Adrian Amos is going to be the free safety and Savage is going to be the strong safety. First of all, if you're going to assign one or the other, Savage is absolutely going to be the free safety. Do not mistake that for a second. Amos is smash Amos for a reason. He's a hard hitter. He's a great tackler. He's a very sound football player. He would be the strong safety in the scheme. Savage, who runs a 4-3, who can tackle but isn't nearly as violent, nearly as good of a tackler, would be the free safety. So they may be 60-40, but similar to if you look at the Bears, it's really just a matter of kind of where you stand. And it, it's, it's just it's not as pretty as if you were to draw it up on a piece of paper. They're kind of just roaming. They're they're a little bit outside. That's why I remember when I was doing pro football focus for a while, this was, geez, I don't know, five years ago, they had said they were hiring. And I was like, I want to try this. And they had sent me some college film and I had to break it down. And I actually quit on the last play. There was, <laughs> there was one thing there and I could not find the guy. I couldn't find him anywhere. I thought I saw him. I couldn't see the number. And I just, this is too hard. I'm not, I, I can't dedicate this much time. But it's so incredibly hard because guys don't line up where you expect them to. And they have all these rules. If, if they're, you know, to this shade of the, of the tackle, it's this position. If they're head up on the tackle, it's this position. If they're here, it's this position. If they're out wide, it's this position. If they're here but back, you know, X amount of yards, it's this position. If they're here, then they're kind of a linebacker. If you just look at where... For example, Josh Jackson, all the positions he's lined up in, there's, there's got to be 16 different positions he's been in. Because it's just, they stand in sort of, it's very specific to the scheme, 
but there are there's so many different areas of the field you can be standing it's not a clean cut thing and we tend to think too clean cut let me just give you an example here this is Zadarius Smith and these are all the positions that he lined up in just to give you an idea Defensive left tackle, defensive right tackle, left end, left end outside, left outside linebacker, um, nose left tackle, nose right tackle, nose tackle, right end, right end outside, right outside linebacker, left inside linebacker, right inside linebacker, right linebacker, slot corner B inside left, right cornerback, and also he was on the punt return game, PDL3, PDL4, PDR3, PDR5. On uh, field goal and extra point block, FL4, FR2, FR4. He lined up in 16 different positions, not including special teams. Every single position along the defensive defensive line. And again, not even if you look at, well, did he line up at nose tackle? Yes, he did. And in fact, three different positions as a nose tackle. Left, right, and dead center nose. So when we look at, you know, when, when the Packers talk about pieces, there's so much complexity here, and to just have two guys, Preston and Zadarius, and they're the outside guys, and we even, you know, me included here, we we think we're talking super fancy when it's like, yeah, and then we're gonna we're gonna switch and put, you know, Zadarius is gonna be a defensive end once in a while, and then sometimes in the nickel it's like a four three alignment, he's gonna be a down defensive end. It's like, yeah, that's sort of like level two of understanding. They're on like level fifteen of understanding. So when we get upset about Rashawn Gary because we already have two pass rushers, it's like, man, this is this is so complex. And and we, we if we don't understand, we need to just defer. And that's sort of the point. I, I I understand enough to know that we need him. I don't exactly know why, but I know we need him. And if again, if you listen to what Lafleur says, if you listen to what Gutekunst says, if you listen to what Pettin says, his defense last year basically he was taking, um, you know, Dom Capers players. Ted Thompson players and trying to make it work in his scheme so he doesn't have exactly the right players but a lot of them again you got the Mike Daniels guys not exactly his guy but he can do what you ask him to do he's got Clay Matthews which is definitely not his style of guy but he'll use them and he's doing what he can to use these pieces in the best way that he can and, and again as I mentioned I think yesterday you look at all these these things that he wants to do but just can't he probably had to really shrink his playbook quite a bit because there's just a lot he can't do I mean, there was just a lack of talent, right? We didn't have any safeties. We didn't have very good corners. We had Jair and basically nothing. We didn't have any pass rushers. So we had Jair and we had two defensive tackles, both of whom got hurt. And for the first half of the year, we led the, t- the NFL in sacks. So Brian Gutekunst is dedicating so much to the defense because we are stripping this defense and rebuilding it in Mike Pettin's image. And these three pass rushers, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they would be happy to take another one. And essentially, they did with uh, Kiki. Right? He's not a a real true pass rusher, but he is that kind of versatile piece that you can put, similar to Zadarius, but a little bit. So it's more like shades, if you think about it. right? It's a, it's a spectrum, if you will. From nose tackle in the middle to outside linebacker. And it's just a matter of how much of that spectrum can you cover. So with Kiki... You can go from nose tackle to probably down defensive end. I don't know if you'd ever want him to stand up outside linebacker. You could ask him to do that, but I don't think they're going to. I think he's going to pack on a little bit of weight, and he's going to be that kind of a versatile piece. Kenny Clark is probably going to shade from nose tackle to, you know, 3-4 defensive end. Mike Daniels, to Tom Silverstein's credit, is a little bit different in that I don't know if you're really going to use him very much at nose tackle, maybe occasionally, but he's pretty restricted to being just a defensive end. Now, he's very, very good at it, but he I don't think he provides too much versatility. You're not going to make him a defensive end, and I don't know that he's... I, he has. Last year, he played 21 snaps at nose tackle, but again, primarily, no. That's out of 418 snaps along the defensive line. 20-ish came at nose tackle. So again, he's going to be sticking to the outside of the inside guys, and to the inside of the outside guys. Whether you want to call it a defensive tackle or a defensive end or whatever, depending on alignment, that, that's sort of his spot. Right? If it's if it's a nickel 4-3 alignment, he's going to be a defensive tackle. If it's a 3-4 alignment, he's going to be a defensive end. You look at Rashawn Gary, you can put him just about anywhere. Zadarius can go anywhere. Preston can probably go inside. He's a big dude. You think about what... Um, what Dom Capers used to do with his NASCAR package where he just had four down linemen that were all outside linebackers. Um, Mike Pettin can do that much better than than um, 
Dom Capers ever could because Dom Capers had a bunch of Clay Matthews types and 230 pound guys or excuse me, 250-ish, 260-ish pound guys aren't going to be able to do it quite as well as 280-pound guys. You know, the Rashawn Gary's in the 270. You take these 270-pound guys that can handle interior offensive linemen but also have the speed to be outside guys that are, like, as fast as Clay Matthews, that's why you draft a Rashawn Gary. So that's the end of that lecture. Uh, I think we're just going to get the third break out of the way, and then we'll just keep rolling as far as we can go. At this pace, there's no way I'm getting through all these, but we'll see what we can do. So we'll take a break and be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the next question comes from Kevin. I kind of touched on it just a little bit ago, but uh, let's run through his question here. It says, hey, Ryan, with the signing of Adrian Amos and drafting Savage, what does that mean for Josh Jones? I know the uh, moving everyone to new positions is thrown around every day, but could they really want to play him more at linebacker? Kind of making the spot less of a need. I was really, really hoping Devin Bush was going to fall to us, and that's pretty much the end of this. <laughs> yes and no. I do think Josh So, so it's actually a really good point because what are we going to do at linebacker, right? We didn't draft a linebacker, and it's seeming, seemingly we need one. We have Blake Martinez. That's solid. We have Warren Burks, who obviously we invested a third-round pick in, so they're not going to give up on him. That's just not the way they seem to do things, right? We didn't take Derwin when we drafted Josh Jones. In hindsight, whatever. I mean, I'm happy about it at this point. Legitimately think Darnell Savage could be a better safety than Derwin, and that's a crazy statement to make because it's hard to be better than Derwin. But if he can live up to his full potential, I just, oh, I'm sorry. I got to stop talking about Savage, man, because he's, he's just going to be a bust and I'm just going to cry. But I think it kind of solves itself in a way. We don't really need him. And, you know, we, we move pieces around. Like I said, everything's not super cut and dry. But I do think Josh Jones is primarily going to play linebacker, but they don't need to change his position. Remember, we are primarily a nickel and dime defense, which is to say five to six defensive backs on the field at any given time. And, and part of the benefit, going back to the last question, of getting so many defensive linemen is when you're so much better up front, you can afford to have more defensive backs you know, in the backfield. The reason you're scared to do that is because they can just, you know, if you're super light on the field, they can just use power and destroy you. They can run through you. If, if you've got a solid defensive front and you can handle your business, then you can have more defensive backs and, and cover the pass better. So we can leave Josh Jones as a safety, but use him more as a linebacker, and that's essentially what we call a nickel linebacker. It's where we have three safeties on the field, which is Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, and Josh Jones, where Josh Jones plays inside the box. So that if they're running the football, Josh Jones essentially is a linebacker in that moment. If they're running a pass play, and a, for example, you know, depending on what the the call is, but if, if the tight end goes and runs a route, Josh Jones then goes to cover him and acts as a safety in coverage, or as a corner in coverage, or however you want to look at it. So he acts as sort of that sort of versatile multiple role because he can, you know, theoretically, I don't, I don't know how good he's going to be. I hope he really he gets better. But theoretically, he's better in coverage than a typical linebacker, but he's also better at being a linebacker than a typical safety, which is why you use that kind of guy in that situation. So it's a, it's a benefit because we have an additional safety, which is nice because we don't have a ton of depth at safety. And we also have an additional linebacker, and we do need an additional linebacker. So again, the, the biggest issue is how good is he going to be because he's not very good at either or hasn't been. But if he can you know, get better and take a leap in his third year, That's uh, he's the perfect piece for this defense. He's sort of the missing piece for this defense. So that that is my expectation. I think he will be used primary as, pri- primarily as a linebacker. And I actually think this is, in a way, perfect for him. By drafting and, and by adding two additional safeties to this team, it kind of pushes him away from that spot that he's not very good at to begin with. And by not drafting a linebacker, it opens up sort of a, a it's sort of creates a vacuum in that spot that just pulls Josh Jones right into it. And I think he's going to find a natural spot there. And I, I think if if we can take away the extra added responsibility, and again, he'll play all over the field like everybody else, depending on if Mike Patton even wants him on the field. But the, the less we can give him to do, the more we can just look at him and say, listen, your job is this. And we'll just simplify it. And, and essentially what his job is is just act like a heat-seeking missile and just destroy people, which when we first got him, that was exactly what he's good at. And when he plays well, that's what he does well. 
It's just keying in on somebody using his incredible speed. I think he's a four-four-two guy. You know, I don't, I don't know what is he six-one, two twenty-five, four-four-two speed, some, something like that. And he just lights people up. He's a physical guy, and I, you know, I, I worry that maybe he's in his own head too much. You know, it's tough when you're a dominant football player. You go to the NFL, and everybody's just screaming at you, get him off our team. But he's got all the tools. And I think he might be just one of those guys you just take a little bit off his plate, simplify it, second year in the scheme, so he's, you know, the mental part of it is going to be getting better. So as the the level of responsibility goes down and his level of understanding goes up, I mean, he could have a big year. I don't want to overstate my bounds here because last year I said the same thing. I said, ha-ha, and, and, um, and Josh Jones were going to have good years because I felt like those two specifically weren't doing a good job with the mental side of it and with the new scheme being supposedly more simplified. I thought it would benefit them. Didn't pan out quite as, as I had hoped. So I won't overstate my case, but I do think it's possible he takes a leap, and I think he would fit perfectly in that role. Um, and he would have a pretty big role because, again, that's our primary alignment is uh, in the nickel, which would be Blake Martinez and Josh Jones. So there be my answer to that. So after that, we've got uh, Joshua. I might actually get through this because a lot of these are just you know conversations that I'm having. They're not even questions or comments. But here's what he had to say on Friday. The more tape I watch on Gary, the happier I get. When Mitch played Rutgers, Mitch being Michigan, there was one play in the entire first half where he even had the slightest opportunity to do anything, but they got the ball out within two seconds. Every play was a run away from him. It's hard to get production when opportunity isn't presented. Teams are calling plays based on where he's lined up. So I think this is true for a lot. There's a lot of things in it. I've mentioned it before, but with Rashawn Gary, I feel like I've said there are certain people that are easy to scout, people like me who aren't doing this professionally can see it and just go, wow, this guy's amazing. And I, I always use Derwin James as an example. I watched him and just said, yep, he's going to be a freak because it's easy to see. Rashawn Gary is one of those guys where you watch him over and over and over, and every time there's something else that you appreciate. There are also things like this, which is exactly true, and, and people, including Rashawn Gary, have talked about that. People, Everybody wants to know where Rashawn Gary is so they can get away from him. One of the other things that um, I had heard recently this was, I, I decided, I, I thought it'd be a good idea to try to find some interviews on all of our draft prospects, and the only one I could find was Rashawn Gary, and there were several of them. But they talked about his production, and Rashawn Gary, on one of these interviews, I, I don't know if it was Ian Rappaport or what, but he basically just came out and said, well, you know, it's not the right scheme. In other words, I mean, it was, I, I feel like I'd heard it before, I'm not sure, but it, it, he said it as though it was like a known thing. Like, I, I, I love playing for Michigan, and it's great and all that, but, you know, they, they weren't playing me the way that they were supposed to play me. But I, I went there, and I just did what I was told, and I did the job I was asked to do. And if you listen to his defensive coordinator, who recently did an interview, it was a lot of talk about his job was to sort of um, wall off against the run, right, to sort of push the tackle back and, and, and disrupt running lanes. So there were a lot of things that he was doing as a guy who apparently was playing in, his, in the wrong, you know, because he goes to Michigan, and Michigan runs a certain defensive scheme. They're not going to change their scheme because Rashawn Gary's here, and they're not going to not recruit the highest, you know, the, the, one of the most talented high school players to ever come out wants to come to Michigan. What are you to say? Noah, this isn't the right scheme fit for you? So I found that interesting as well. But I, 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 one of the things that I would say, and yes, Joshua, I agree 100%, but one of the other things I would say that's incredible, that there's two things that I've noticed. One is the speed, and it's not as obvious as Darnell Savage's speed. It actually kind of reminds me of Montez Sweat. And that sort of speed, is it comes from pass rushers, especially bigger guys, where it's ridiculous that this is the only way I can think to describe it. But I remember when I was a kid and it was cool to have like a Huffy bike, you know, like the big mountain bikes with all the, the gears. I mean, it wasn't even like a 10-speed, it was like a 400-speed because you had the two different gear shifters. I didn't really know how to use it, but, I mean, you kind of get it, right? You push hard or you push easy. Well, usually I would set it kind of to hard because you can really go fast when you do that. The problem is it takes you a while to build up speed, right? When you first push it, it's like, can't really go anywhere. I mean, ideally what you're supposed to do is start it low and kind of work your way up. But if you can just kind of man up and start pushing, you can go from like 0 to 60 really fast. That's Rashawn Gary. There's like a half a step where it's like he's kind of walking in quicksand, but his ability to go from that to a half second later being full speed and then his closing speed at his size, as I've said, it just looks weird seeing a guy that big. And he's also the kind of guy that Mike Pettin likes, which is when he has the quarterback in his sights, he's just an animal. Like the, the, the brain turns off and the primal instincts turn on and he's just out to kill and that's it. And I love that. And that's very evident. The other thing that's really kind of weird, 
I've never seen anybody with as good a balance as he has. I, there's so many times I'm watching him just, and all I can say is, why doesn't he fall over? He, he just won't fall down. There was one thing on uh, on Twitter, and there was a little argument, which just felt nonsensical because I'm, I'm I feel like the conversation should be about his balance. But somebody posted a picture or a, a, a GIF or a video or whatever on Twitter saying this is why he couldn't do anything. Look, he was triple team, and essentially what you had is people pulling, and you know it's just one guy is blocking him, and then the other guy pulls, and he starts blocking him, and then another guy pulls, and you, eventually you just had three guys on him. And there was kind of a discussion about, well, I mean, that's just the natural thing. There's three guys pulling. It's not about a design triple team, which, first of all, who cares? The fact that it ended up taking three, because essentially the first guy is supposed to take away Rashawn Gary, and then the other two are supposed to make it around him. Well, the first guy didn't do it, so the second guy jumped in. And Rashawn Gary's still going, and they, they can't stop him. And even crazier, he just won't fall down, right? When you're moving laterally and you got guys essentially kind of like pushing you forward, usually you fall over. He didn't fall over, and he kept being able to push these two guys back far enough that it was creating a problem to the point where the third guy felt the need to get involved as opposed to just running around and getting to the next level. That's the kind of crazy stuff where a lot of people look at it and go, oh, triple team, that's why he didn't make the play. He did make the play. He held off three guys, kept his balance, and was able to not be moved backwards. I talked about Gross Matos, the guy that I was watching for next year's draft class. He's got a lot of potential, but there are times when I, I saw a tight end blow him off the ball. This is a guy who has the potential to be a top 10 pick, and he's got tight ends pushing him around. Rashawn Gary's holding off three guys, and, and granted, nobody's got a lot of power when you're running laterally so fast, but his balance is ridiculous. There are so many times when he should just be falling over, and he doesn't. I don't know to what level of awesomeness that is and how much that's going to help the team, but being able to to have that kind of balance, along with that kind of power, along with that kind of speed, along with d- pretty solid agility, when you put all those things together, it kind of, you know, it's it's like in Madden when you the more you crank up one score, the other one goes down. It just it's like the the other things just don't go down with him. They they just keep going up. So I mean I don't know, man. Just check that out sometime. It's crazy his ability to just stay in the play, to stay on his feet, to always have his feet set under him to never go down. The other thing about Rashawn Gary when I listened to the interview that I really, really liked, he was doing an interview, he's a pretty laid-back guy, kind of canned answers, all this stuff. He was talking to uh, Rich Eisen, who's a Michigan guy, and they're kind of doing a little bit of banter or whatever, and they talked about Bush and, and how it was, he, you know, Rashawn Gary didn't go to this bowl game or whatever against Michigan State, and when he started talking about Michigan State and, and not being there, his emotions got fired up. And the thing that I loved about it is he was... He was so angry, and he had so much hatred in his heart for Michigan State, it got me excited. Because, this is a, listen, he's from New Jersey. He was a transplant to Michigan. So that love and desire and allegiance to Michigan is something that he took on himself. And now the Green Bay Packers, the same way Michigan did, have adopted him. You think he isn't going to have that same kind of attitude, that same kind of love? Go look at his Twitter and see how much love he already has for the Packers. Wait, if you want to see some guy with a, with a passion, wait until you see Rashawn Gary go up against the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears. I love that. We don't have a lot of that. In, in today's NFL, usually it's, things are more tamed down. You don't see like the, the Steelers hate the Ravens. I remember not that long ago, what, maybe 10 years ago or so, it was to the point where it was getting scary. Like People were getting worried because it was too violent, those AFC North battles, especially the, the Ravens and the Steelers. The Bengals weren't, weren't, you know, Bengals were not a team to be trifled with either. They've had some tough defenses over the years. And if you remember back to you know, the 80s, early 90s, Packers, Bears, that was pretty brutal, and I'm sure prior to that as well. That's kind of tamed down, and you got, you know, in the NBA, people swapping jerseys, and now in the NFL, and it's become like the players against the organization and all this silly nonsense, and I'm just excited to have a guy like Rashawn Gary that's going to come in and just have hatred in his heart for the Chicago Bears. I don't know that that's going to happen, but I believe that's going to happen, and I love that. He's a very passionate and very emotional person is what I've picked up on. He seems kind of laid back, but you look at when he got drafted and the tears that he had, you listen to the emotion, and, and he, he said that he broke down and cried when he told um, Harbaugh that he wasn't going to be playing in the bowl game. You listen to the passion in his heart when he talks about Devin Bush tearing up the field at Michigan State. You listen to the passion in his heart when he talks about his hatred for Michigan State. This is a guy who lives on passion, and as much as that can work to a disadvantage, I think, with the right people, especially people who are a little more measured, right? You don't want endomic and Sue type players, and you especially don't want guys that have kind of reckless off the field with drinking, drugs, whatever kind of stuff is going on out there. 
But if you have a guy similar to Mike Daniels that can focus that energy and that hatred solely on the field, and then you go off the field and you're reading comic books or whatever silly nonsense he's doing out there, I can say silly nonsense because we don't live close to each other, and I'm assuming he won't drive out here and, and, and punch me in the face. I'm willing to take that risk. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens when he gets used in a different sort of scheme and uh, how that works to his benefit. I'm excited to see what happens when he comes to a team where the defense or the offense has to focus on other players and not just Rashawn Gary, how disruptive he can be when Zadarius Smith is on the field, when Preston Smith is on the field, when Kenny Clark is on the field, when Mike Daniels is on the field, and you can't just hone in on Mike or on Rashawn Gary when the offensive coordinator doesn't come in and say, okay, we got to watch out for this Rashawn guy. No, they're watching out for Kenny Clark. They're watching out for Zadarius Smith and Mike Daniels. They're, they're worried about how, how do you keep your quarterback, you know, his IQ up because that, that savage guy is roaming around and you got to know where he is and you got to remember how fast he is. And when he looks like he's not there, trust me, he's there. You got to watch where Adrian Amos is going. Sometimes he's low, sometimes he's high. Is he in the slot? Is he playing single high? Is he? We don't know because the safeties are interchangeable. We don't know what they're going to do. And their they're linebackers are safety. So I, you know, very excited to see that. And again, I, 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 I'm excited because I think he's going to bring some serious energy. I don't necessarily know about leadership. I think that's going to be sort of Zadarius Smith has that leadership vibe. I feel like he's going to be the guy in the locker room that's going to be that guy. But I think that sort of Mike Daniels energy that was missing last year, I am hopeful that Mike Daniels is going to bring it back, especially when this defense gets amped up. Because I know Josh Jones has it. I know Blake Martinez has it. I know Jair has it. I know Amos has it. If, if, if we can get that out of Rashawn Gary and, and not just sort of this amped up kind of attitude, but just a, a pure hatred and rage, and you got Savage making play. I mean, this, I'm excited, man. I'm not used to it as a Packers fan. I, I haven't seen too many great defenses, and usually when you do, it's just kind of a flicker. But if, if this defense can hit, these are, this is, these are all guys that are going to be around for a long time, with the exception maybe of Mike Daniels. Kenny Clark's about to get locked up. Zadarius and Preston just signed long-term deals. Amos, Amos just signed a long-term deal. Otherwise, we just drafted Rashawn. We're about to extend Blake. We're about to extend Kenny. And we just drafted Savage. These guys are going to be on this team for the night. All, all, all of these core players that I'm talking about that I'm excited about are going to be on this team for another four years at least. If this defense can hit, this team has the potential to be set up for the long term. And that's what's exciting me right now. It's it's and I, I talked about this more last year. Is this a team that's ready to go all in or is this or sort of a several year rebuild? And I think what Gutekunst is doing is playing this perfectly in which he's not treating it as a rebuild by just ignoring needs. We're filling holes and we're ready to make a push into the playoffs, into the postseason, into the Super Bowl. However, he's also setting this up not as an all-in thing. He didn't go out and sign a Justin Houston to a one- to two-year deal. He didn't go out and get D Ford. He didn't blow a ton of money on these guys that are just going to f- try to force us into the Super Bowl, and if we don't get it, we're doomed. This is long-term. So if we don't get there, guess what? Next year we come back, and it's a very offense-heavy uh, uh, draft class. Not only are there a lot of corners, but the, the wide receivers. You know, if I, if I look at my big board right now, it's the, the first – the first four players are offensive players. That's completely opposite of what last year was. I got Tua Tagovailoa, Jerry Judy, Justin Herbert, and Andrew Thomas. The tackle. At number eight, Walker Little. Tackle. Number 10, Jake Fromm, quarterback. Number 11, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, running back. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, number 12, wide receiver out of Colorado. <coughs> Trey Smith, offensive tackle at 13. Uh, Travis Etienne out of uh, Clemson, running back. Is he Clemson? Some of the, if you see any errors on this website, by the way, let me know. I feel like that's a LSU name, but maybe that's just the name that's throwing me off. Um, Tillon Wallace, wide receiver, Oklahoma State, is 18. Uh, Albert O.K., the guy who was, decided to go back to school, tight end at 21. Mackie Becton, my favorite name so far, at 22, offensive tackle, Louisville. Daryl Williams at 24, guard. C.D. Lamb, wide receiver, 25. Almost entirely offensive players in this draft class so again if we don't quite make it and if we don't make it because oh man we we needed another offensive lineman we we really needed to get a wide receiver guess what we get it next year we got to see things are going to change or whatever but as best as i can tell the strongest part of that class wide receivers offensive tackles quarterbacks we're 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 playing our hand pretty perfectly why in the world am i logged in as adam on nflbigboard.com who is adam what is happening right now this is weird. By the way, just for fun, I looked at it. I, I made it top 50 because it was top top 25. 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, and 
Um, actually, from 26 to 31, all offense. Trey Adams tackle, Xavier McKinney quarterback, Tariq Black wide receiver, Tyler Biotish, uh, the Wisconsin center, Najee Harris running back out of Alabama, and then J.K. Dobbins running back out of Ohio. So running back also very, very strong. Got four running backs in the first round. Uh, 32 is Patty Fisher, the linebacker out of Northwestern. So pretty nutty, man. So I'm excited. I, I think um, we, we got to see how this pans out. Again, I'm, I'm going through the, the GM thing. Um, and, and as far as impact in year one, Brian Gutekunst right now is, I think, third or fourth from the bottom, again, depending on how you sort it. But that also has to do with, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to get into the full criteria. But we, we didn't get a lot of instant impact from our guys. You know, Jair did fine. Josh Jackson wasn't super great. Uh, Oren Burks hardly even played, and when he did, he was terrible. Jamon Moore played like four snaps. Um, the, the two other wide receivers played some snaps, but again, were just more or less average. Cole Madison didn't play at all. He's going to be back. So I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that in year two, and, th- and that's the other thing too, this, this could be a really perfect storm, keeping it optimistic. Obviously, it could go the other way and be negative. But if you look at the growth of year one, so the wide receivers we have, if they can take a step, obviously we all understand how scary the wide receiver group can be. If Cole Madison can come in and have an impact on top of the free agents we brought in, Billy Turner being the offensive one, on top of Elton Jenkins and Jay Sternberger, that's sort of that perfect storm. And then on defense, it's just out of control. If if Jair, Josh Jackson, Oren Burks, you know, Looney and Donerson, if these guys can take a step, plus the free agents and Amos and the two Smiths, plus we get instant production out of the guys that we got this year, man, oh man. And listen, almost any team can say something similar, although I've, I've already said not everybody can, right? What are the Bears going to get from their draft class? I mean, I, I love their running back. I'm sick to my stomach that they got my guy, especially in the third round. He should have been gone by then. But they're not going to get anywhere near the impact. What are they going to get from their um, their free agents? I mean, not very much. I think they lost more talent than they acquired. So as much as it seems like, well, you're being super optimistic and you're not being realistic, well, I am, though. Some teams got, everybody supposedly got a little bit better. Some got better than others. And you could probably argue there's a few teams that got worse. I would be shocked if the Chiefs don't regress. I would be slightly surprised if the Bears don't regress. Right? There's certain teams that you look at and just say, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. Anyways, I didn't get to any of the voicemails. I'll have to save that maybe for tomorrow. But I'm going to leave her at that. Um, again, if you have any questions or comments, be sure to uh, call or text in. If you sent me a text and I didn't get it, I apologize, assuming it's still relevant, just just send it again, I'll get to it. If you put a question, by the way, in the Facebook group, um, those get lost pretty quick because of all the, the comments that get in there. Uh, just just send a text message. I'll, I'll comb through it to see if there's any questions that I can find, but uh, if there's something you want me to answer, just send it over via text message if you can. That'll make it easier for me to find. But anyways, enjoy your Tuesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.